And welcome to episode number 19 of Grumpy Old Benz. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where we may have bullets flying, but we don't have fire ants in our pants. And from America's left coast, where the climate changes more often than the weather, I'm Ryan Bemrose. But isn't climate weather? Isn't that connected? No, no somehow? they're different. Okay. No, cli- uh, I'm actually... Uh, climate is only weather when it proves the point about climate change. Otherwise, it's not. It's all about the narrative. That seems to make perfect sense. We don't want to follow the narrative. On today's show, we're talking about the attention economy, which this was something that was on your list. And we thought it was kind of an interesting thing to look at. Because again, we're old guys. We have seen the internet come into being. We remember a time before the internet. We definitely remember a time before cell phones and the concept of getting somebody's attention and separating them from their money has changed, as well as the fact that the concept of getting somebody's money, which used to be something every company had to do in order to survive, in order to be a company, you had to somehow generate money, and that meant getting money from people. Now you can make this said magical money by just getting somebody's attention. And that seems to be both good and bad because people get a lot of free stuff now, but they don't see the cost in the free stuff. Is that what we're talking about today, Mr. Bemrose? That's that's definitely part of it. The way that I described the attention economy, and I don't think I I don't think I'm the first person to have come up with the term, but but I did. I'll go ahead and take credit for it anyway. (laughs) Uh, is the economy of goods and services that has arisen where uh, your attention has replaced your money for how you pay for things. You know, there was a, a, a you know, a way back in the day when if you wanted uh, somebody to provide you a service of some kind, you paid them money. And, and that's kind of turned into a little bit of a quaint thing because nowadays everything is uh, uh, the buzzword free. And well, and free is magic. Free is it is. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's it's what everybody wants, and more importantly, it's what everybody expects anymore. If you ask for money in exchange for a service online, you're going out of business. Which is why everybody has translated into a new form of currency, which is your attention. And it's a much more insidious model, but I, I can get to that later. But effectively, the uh, when I say your attention, uh, what I mean is that the engine which drives the attention economy is advertising. Uh, the companies still need money in order to do things, but instead of getting money from you, the user of their services, they get money from their actual customers, which is advertisers, and then they sell you the user of their services to the advertiser in the form of making you look at marketing messages and propaganda and whatever other kind of messages they'd like to put into your brain. Well, and this is sometimes more obvious than others. I think the first 
concept of this happening that I can remember. And it was something that people didn't really even consider that it was happening because it was happening in the background, more or less, was the Firefox browser, the Mozilla browser that slowly started going from a little open source project, you know, for the good of all humanity and all this other kind of bullshit that a lot of people pull out as buzzwords when coming up with the open source software and that to realizing that one of the ways or it became the main way that the people doing the software were making money was every time you did a Google search, they were getting a kickback on the ads that you were seeing. So it wasn't even necessarily that they were showing you ads. They became an affiliate for these things. And I'm not even sure if they ever did anything like with Amazon, because as you know, Amazon, you can be an affiliate as well and send somebody on a link. And if we have an, uh, you know, an Amazon affiliate account, these things still exist. If we have a link on grumpy old Ben's that says, hey, we really like this microphone, this $40 microphone that Ryan Bemrose is using on grumpy old Ben's. If you want it for your podcast, just click here and you can order it from Amazon. Somebody clicks on that. They buy the microphone. And if they buy whatever else, I mean, you can buy like islands and shit. <laughs> Amazon sells some very bizarre things on their site. Whatever you buy on that purchase, along with the microphone that you clicked on, all gives us a percentage if we had an affiliate account. So that's a way that Firefox, or may have been Mozilla back at the time, was starting to make money by sending people to Google, but it wasn't very upfront, if I remember right. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. It didn't seem like it was very upfront that people understood this was happening. I think you, yeah, you definitely nailed another aspect of it's not so much attention, but it it is the the new economy that has come out of training everybody online that everything that you get should be free. And like you said, they're having to come up with very creative ways to somehow pay for these things where pay doesn't feel like taking your money away. Well, because then you feel it. It's better. We don't want to feel it. We just, it's magic. It should all just happen. Everybody feels when their, their bank accounts being drained or, or, you know, if, if they do a budget, then, you know, they feel at budgeting time. They're like, Oh, uh, you know, we're paying this much for some stupid service that, you know, causes our lights to go on and off at a certain time. And we're paying, $2.99 $2.99 a month for that. And when you are paying actual money and it comes out of your budget, you look at that and go, you know what? I can use a light switch. But if the only thing you're paying is, oh yeah, $2.99 a month and I only have to watch 17 ads a day. Yeah, that's fine. It's free. I'm not, it doesn't cost me anything at all. The problem with with that, with the attention economy in general, is like I said, it's much more insidious than your money because the way that the economy works, or at least the way that a capitalist economy is supposed to work, no guarantees about the one you may encounter in your real life, is that you can make more money if you work harder, you go learn new skills, you get a new higher paying job, and you get better at what you do. You can get a raise. You can multiply your ability to function in the economy by becoming more valuable to somebody and that getting a raise attention, your attention span, your eyeballs, ultimately your time on this planet. It doesn't matter whether you are the CEO of a company making billions of dollars, or if you are a day laborer, 
the amount of time you have on this planet is going to be somewhere between 60 and 90 years, period. That's how much time you have. And in order to get this juice machine or the free stuff or access to this game on your phone, you are paying with the one resource that you can least afford to lose your time. Well, do you have a preference? Because there's two different ways that this mainly works with software. One, like you said, there are some games that are out there that you can download on your phone or tablet. You play the game for about five minutes and then boom, something pops up, either shows you an image with an ad or it'll play a short video with an ad. And then you go back to playing your game. That's pretty straightforward. You understand what you're getting. And some of those games do allow you to opt out of the ads if you want to send them a couple of bucks. And I'm sure some people do. And they make that choice then whether or not they would rather give up their money or their time. Usually it's a better deal to give up your money when you really look at it. But then the second type of uh, form to where they get your attention or that they're basically making money on your attention is something like Gmail that is searching for keywords, which is then supporting you with or throwing ads at you or even worse than selling that information to a third party. The real question when, when you get right down to it is how much do you value your time? And the reason uh, you may not have noticed, but I'm a little bit skeptical of the attention economy. And the reason is that the companies always value my time lower than I do. That makes sense. Numbers came out of Facebook a while ago, and I'm going to totally butcher these numbers, but they came up with the average Facebook user, all of the ads that you see on Facebook, everything you are subjected to, every bit of your attention that is diverted from looking at your sister-in-law's latest rant or your brother's newborn child, all of the attention that they steal from you is worth about $12 a month per user. That's about what Facebook makes at it. And think about all of the time that you're losing to ways that Facebook is diverting your attention, ways that Facebook is taking your time, all of the things that you would be doing if Facebook weren't engaging you in something that you never intended to do. Is all of that together worth $12 a month to you? And for me, it's worth a lot more. And I, I, for me, I don't personally, I, I, wherever possible, I don't participate in the attention economy precisely because of that. I value my time a lot higher than in, in monetary value than the companies will do. Well, and the interesting thing and probably the most insidious thing with all of these software programs, all of these platforms like the face bags and the tweeters is that they start out without advertising. They start out with, Hey, let's throw this thing out there and then get a lot of people using it and then figure out how to monetize it because they realize that once a lot of people start using it, it starts costing them real money and you have to figure out a way to monetize it. And it is weird that we had that switch at some point, which just seems like within the last 10 to 20 years, maybe even on the high end, where we went from being used to paying for software to this concept of, We'll get it free, but we'll watch an ad and we'll be fine with that. And I'm not really sure why that is, except for, again, the magic of free. And we've talked about that in previous podcasts before, especially the uh, 
the bit from the book that the MIT professor wrote, the title of the book is Predictably Irrational, Dan uh, Ariely, I believe his last name is. And they really looked at what the word free does to the human brain. And we tried to talk about that a little bit in the marketing episode to where the difference between free shipping across all of Amazon's platforms, except for France, who was charging the equivalent of two cents for shipping if you got to a certain point, and how people re- reacted to those so much differently, even though in the real world, we know, you know, if you drop two cents on the ground and it starts rolling down a hill, you're probably not going to go running after it. I mean, I might dive after it for comedic value, but yeah, <laughs> but you're not going to go the, after it. That, as you pointed out, and you actually had a really good example on uh, on episode 17 uh, of this, the the thing with the shipping in France it is the the word free is it flips a psychological switch in people's brains that causes them to be unable to really evaluate whether you know the true cost of something you know especially given that you know the word free uh, by its very nature implies oh there's no cost to this which is never true in anything every interaction has an opportunity cost but people while they might be pretty good and brought up by this society to be able to count dollars and cents and whatever your local currency is, they're not good at evaluating opportunity cost. What experiences, what behaviors, what activities am I giving up in order to do this thing? And uh, the, the word free short circuits all of that says, well, there's no cost. And so obviously I can just do this. And it makes people not think about that. And advertisers know this. They know that the word free shuts off that part of your brain that makes you think critically about it. And it's a psychological trick that they use. You mentioned, uh, you know, Facebook, well, didn't have ads at the beginning and none of the big social networks have ads at the beginning. Well, of course not, because everybody understands, even if only subconsciously, that advertisements are annoying and you can't start a social network with a whole bunch like any social network today that didn't have the billions of users that tried to throw as many ads as Facebook does at you would never get off the ground. They would never get a single user. People would sign up and be like, God, I hate this. This is terrible. It's not worth it. So they can only ramp up the the cost, the the attention cost of these services after they've already got you hooked, which is another psychological trick. By the way, in the attention economy, Silicon Valley, you're not the first people to discover that that particular psychological trick. You know who else will say things like, oh, yeah, the first one's free drug dealers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody likes free. You got to get your product out there and you got to get people to uh, to try it. And that's a little bit of a different thing. But I mean, you're absolutely right. That's why, you know, you ever go to and I hate going to Costco now on grazing day because it doesn't matter what they're giving away. It could be the worst, weirdest little item. What What is grazing day? I want to know about this. Oh, you don't know about grazing day at Costco? I'm I've not heard. I haven't actually <laughs> I haven't had a Costco membership in years. It's grazing day. That's when they set up all the little stands and they give away the free samples and people go fucking nuts. You can't even shop. It's one of the reasons we stopped going to Costco. I was trying to figure out if you were actually trying to say that people that go to Costco are farm animals of some kind. And I think you might they be kind of are when it comes to free food, because somebody could be giving away a little cracker, you know, that just sitting there on the little 
little plate there and like oh we'll try and there was one there's one lady although i love this lady because you could walk in the front door at costco and she could be you know like a hundred yards further back into the store and you'd hear free samples i mean she had it going on and i appreciate her doing her job well the problem is they set these free sample stands up at the end of the aisles and every motherfucker decides they want to just put their cart in the middle of the aisle and go grab the free food and you can't even get by them. And I'm sure this is set up in a way that actually makes Costco money because I don't think they're that stupid. But as a consumer, it really amazed me the, the level that people will go to in order to get a free sample of whatever it is at Costco that they're giving away. And I'm sure those samples are all very healthy, too. Oh, of course. There's nothing bad. No preservatives. There's nothing in anything. I mean, they give away weird stuff, too, even like the, you know, the nutritional supplements and stuff like that. And I'm always just like, you know, somebody might have a bad reaction to one of those and, and sue you. And maybe that would be a better thing to happen. But free sets people off in all sorts of different weird ways and that's always going to be the way it is it's it's what's really weird is that when i look at because i'm out of the apple ecosystem mainly now so pretty much on android and as i told you i've been doing the little uh, google thing lying to them with their little survey questions and i understand that's part of the attention economy they're asking me questions that's even further because they're now taking your time yeah and asking you to answer questions. It doesn't even particularly matter that you're lying to them. You are giving them your time, which is the only currency that they want. And that is absolutely true. I understand that. The really odd thing is I've ac- uh, accumulated like 50 something dollars in money for the Google Play Store. My wife is on the app as well, has like $70. And we're looking at the apps going, there's nothing that I would even buy. Which is an interesting thing because I would be more than happy to buy. And I have bought like two different uh, podcast readers. So you get the ads in these things, not readers, the podcast players take the ads out of those. And there is one uh, nice email program. But besides that, there's nothing that I even want to buy. That really is an ecosystem filled with free. This has been done over and over again. Uh, you know, the. Uh, back in the day when you used to get the the record club points or any uh, collecting box tops from cereal boxes, anything where they're like, you can get things free if you just buy a lot of product. And then you, you realize that the things, you know, if, if anybody collects enough box tops to actually get a prize, what you're going to get is a 50 cent slide whistle for the cost of $100 in cereal. And then just to entice people They've got that one item that is like, you know, you can get a new car. All you have to do is spend three, you know, and and of course they, they hide the math, but spend, you know, send in the equivalent amount of box tops as of $3.2 million in cereal or whatever. And it's always, if you look at this and you're like, do I want that prize? Okay. I really want that prize. What would I have to do to get it? Well, I can either, uh, you know, I say you want to, Say their prize is a brand new microphone. You can either say, well, all I have to do is spend 80 hours in this app and I will get enough online freedom points to get this beautiful (laughs) microphone I want. Or you can look at this and realize I can work my day job for 80, 80 hours instead 
and get enough money to buy 30 of these microphones. But no, that doesn't make sense because it's free. Yes. Yes, it's free. I think the best uh, the best contest I ever heard of, and it was at a Hooters, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, and I think even one here in the Chicago area, but that I may be completely wrong. It was at a Hooters where they were having some kind of a contest. The manager came out and said the girl that sold whatever the most, whether it was wings, beer or whatever it was for the month, was going to get a free Toyota. And at the end of the month, the girl thought she was getting a car. And of course, the manager came out with a toy Yoda and gave a little action figure. And uh, that's terrible. It, it, it makes a good point that always read the fine print. Oh my God. Understand. I, would, I would punch the manager. <laughs> I thought it was genius and I also thought it was a dick move, but you know, those things are not always separated from each other. I want to go off the rails a little bit and, and rant a little bit about Costco because this actually has to do with why I haven't been a member for years. Uh, Is it just me or are the people who go to Costco, some of the most inconsiderate fucks in the world? Yes. Which is exactly why they leave their carts at blocking the aisle so they can run and go get their free little half ounce block of wisconsin cheddar it wasn't even the traffic jams inside the store that drove me away my local costco uh is it's you know i'm in a city and in in the city it's not always possible for costco to buy up an entire county for their parking lot and so on days you the average saturday or right after work uh the parking lot gets a little full and usually if you if you look hard, you can find a spot near the back, usually, but nobody wants to get a spot near the back. They all want the spots within the first 10 rows near the entrance because nobody wants to walk, you know, and some of these fat fucks who are killing themselves on the free samples inside that probably got stomach aches and they can't stand to walk more than 40 yards. <laughs> but I it it actually led to a behavior that I think is one of the most horrible and antisocial things that you can possibly do in a car. And I dubbed this behavior parking lot vultures. Have you encountered this? You're in a parking lot and somebody will see someone is walking to taking a cart and walking down the aisle toward a car. And so you're like, Hey, a free parking spot's about to open up and you slow down and then you stop. in the driving aisle and block everybody behind you because sometime in the next five minutes that person's going to pull out and the parking spot's going to open up and so because you are so fucking selfish that you have to have that spot that is going to open up in five minutes you are going to block everybody in the parking lot and create gridlock for five minutes because you can't stand to go all the way to the back and see if there's an open spot. That is a parking lot vulture. But it's their spot, man. But it's their favorite thing. And ch- channel some uh, Louis C.K. It, it's their favorite thing. This other thing won't work. It only satisfies 99% of the criteria. Yeah, anyways, that was kind of the, the like my local Costco, the one nearby. That was a daily thing. It happened. And I was like, I can't, I can't handle this because 
you know, then you walk in and of course, you know, the, the minimum security detention facility papers, please papers, please. And they want you to fucking <laughs> identify yourself when you want like, no, I don't need this authoritarian bullshit. I don't need to prove to myself that I'm worthy of shopping in your little mind washing establishment where you want to feed me shitty food and advertise to me and give me portions that are 18,000 times larger than my waistline need. No, I don't need that. So I'm not a Costco member anymore. Well, <laughs> really, I can't. That sounded like a commercial for Costco. I was about to cut you off because it seemed like maybe we were doing a, hush, an hush. ad. Hey, the native ad money and, will be coming in later. This is the attention economy when you have them hearing about Costco. Uh, but the biggest problem I have, well, not the biggest problem, but in the parking lot of the Costco, my issue comes with morons and shopping carts. Two things that should never be used together morons and shopping carts but that seems to be the way it is and i appreciate our aldi store i don't know if you have aldi's out there on the uh the famed west coast but no but if you hum a few bars they still make you well they're the the allegedly this is the aldi and trader joe's are two different brothers that once diverged in the night so they're very similar okay stores but aldi is more the bargain place where trader joe's is more kind of the yuppie place but yeah. The we got, we got plenty of Trader Joe's around here. The Seattle hipsters go there all the time. Well, see, yeah, that exactly makes sense. And a DC girl in the troll already says Aldi's has a great shopping cart arrangement. They do. You have to put a quarter into the shopping cart in order to unchain it from all the rest of the shopping wait, wait, carts. You mean it's not free? It is because when you're done with the shopping cart, if you return it, you put the thing back into it and your quarter pops back out. Oh, so it's a homeless That's people their tax. incentive. Yes. You know, and I, hey, you know what? <laughs> there are times I've been lazy enough to I'd be like, you know what? Fuck the quarter. And there's been plenty of times where I've just given the cart. My wife's given the cart to somebody else going in like, here you go. Take the cart. I don't feel like walking it back. It's not worth a quarter to, you know, spend three minutes bringing it back across the parking lot. And that's a perfectly rational decision. You have decided that three minutes of your time is not worth 25 cents or is worth more than 25 cents. That makes yeah, sense. But it's rare that you'll see an Aldi cart sitting in the parking lot, slapping around, um, bopping itself into cars and causing damage because people will put them back because of a quarter. <laughs> and I would, I've always thought that Costco, who has a rampant problem, at least at ours, with people leaving carts all over the place, even if there is a cart caddy, because they seem to have cart caddies now where you put the cart it's, back. It's not into. just carts. Does your local Costco have those big, like, three by five trays that you wheel around that i mean they can do serious damage to someone's shins yes oh yeah they're they're huge but with the carts people just refuse to put them back into the little areas that they have designated for the carts even though there are plenty of them conveniently there for you to do so and that drives me nuts i always thought that costco should do something similar to aldi you know what? Do something to where you have to like scan your card to get a cart. And if you don't return the card and scan it again, they're charging you a hundred bucks or they have cameras all over the place. Maybe they can monitor the parking lot. And if an asshole doesn't put their cart back, charge them a penalty because it is it's a scourge on humanity. And there's no doubt about it. I don't know how that affects the uh, or has anything to do with the attention economy, except it gets my attention. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, plus we're off the rails. We already told you we were doing that. Uh, that would be a novel way to to deal with the cart problem. I don't know if the optics work. And of course, optics are 
are the only thing that matters when everybody and their dog can go say a hateful comment on Twitter and get companies to change their policies. Sir Fletcher brought up in the troll room, he says, I hate when people drive as fast as they would on the road in the parking lot as if they've never encountered people walking in a parking lot. And your discussion about shopping carts reminded me of this excellent pro tip. So this is a tip for Fletcher. And that is when you get out of your car at the far end of the parking lot, at least for me, I always park at the far end because fuck trying to to deal with all the people who are vulturing at the front end. I'll just walk. I don't mind walking. I need the exercise. Grab a cart out of uh, one of the the cart places, the the little baskets, or uh, you know, usually people are assholes enough that they'll just leave a cart in a parking space or in the bushes or something. But but grab a cart, push that cart into the store with you, an empty cart. Just push an empty cart in. Why? Because well, you know, uh, one one could say, oh, it's altruistic. You you're you're helping, you're bringing a cart back in. And if everybody did it, then they wouldn't have to waste employees, valuable time going out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really nice and it's neat and and it's a good, decent human being thing to do. That's not the reason I do it. It's because if somebody is driving their fucking 2018 BMW at 70 miles an hour through the parking lot and they hit me, they're going to have to go to a car wash. But if they hit a metal cart, (laughs) their car is going to be fucked up. And people look at this and people will not try to hit a cart. They can see a cart better than they can see a person. And they know subconsciously they don't want to hit it. So you are safer if you are pushing a cart across that parking lot. Well, you could use that to push it at the car if they're driving too fast. Just and accidentally push that in front option, of the car. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, if the dude is seriously bearing down on you, then the last thing you do is you turn toward him. You shove the cart as hard as you can and you dive out of the way. Because then when they hit the cart, that forward momentum is going to cause it to go over the windshield and parts of the the shrapnel wire is going to poke through the windshield. And then they're going to have these wire things just poking at them. I mean, you know, it's a very traumatic experience for all involved, which is awesome. Yes, it is. Like an action movie. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Grumpy Old Benz does not endorse violence against BMW drivers, no matter how much they might deserve it. it, We might, but it depends. Uh, Omaha says, plus free rides fuck walking so yeah you know if they hit you just hold on you're gonna get some you're gonna move oh yeah might not move where you're going i mean your destination (laughs) might have originally been in the store and your new destination is the hospital but you're gonna go somewhere yeah just jump on that hood okay how do you feel that we're gonna wrap up parking lot talk if a car if you got you leave your car in the lot you go into wherever you're going you come out and, and i'm gonna say i will give people clemency if it's a completely filled parking lot where there's no other spaces and somebody pulls in next to you with a big vehicle, perhaps, and they get a little close. But normally, if you run into an asshole, that you come out and they're parked so close to your car on one side or the other that you cannot open the door and enter your car. What is the proper way to handle said situation? Keys. Yes. Thank you. I've done that a few times. And. As somebody that's, you know, six foot six and, you know, 270, 280, uh, if I accidentally look like I fall slightly into a car with my keys in my hand, bare metal pretty quick. I, I mean, there's a, I, I have a philosophical position on that, which <laughs> is girl, if, key their car, duh. See, we're all on the same page here. Yeah, we, we are. Now, if they are within the lines, no matter how close they are to the line, then technically they're correctly parked. And if you are in a place where the parking spots are so narrow 
that you can be entirely within the lines and still not get out of your car, then you need to take those keys to the city council or whoever designed these regulations. Oh, I agree. Also clemency there. This is not something like on a regular, if it was just that the spots were tight. Yeah. Keys totally the wrong way to go. If somebody is over the line, if they're actually, if their tire is on the line, if they're over the line, if they're in your parking spot, anything goes. In fact, uh, I I've seen uh, some fantastic do it yourself ideas where you should keep a sawzall in your car <laughs> just for the purpose of removing the offending parts of someone else's car. It's like, well, it was in my parking lot spot. I just moved that part of your car back over into your spot. I would like to see that argument in court. It might work. I'm not really sure, but uh, you know what? They're taking up your time. And as we're talking about today, time is money. Time is important. The time you're taking, trying to get into your car, could be spent playing my Vegas roulette games. They could be spent paint playing Candy Crush. They can be spent doing all sorts of better things. Also, you know how everybody always, uh, you know, if they're going to do park right on the line or or over the line, and uh, they always favor being in at least in in America where we all drive on the right and dri- and the drivers are on the left. They will favor being too far to the right in the parking spot because they want to be able to get out of their car but they don't want anyone else that and i have a, on occasion uh when somebody parks way too close on their driver's side you just turn around and back into the spot and leave them only an inch on their driver's side it's very satisfying anyways that is a pro tip from ryan Bemrose. <laughs> they I I am full of tips for being extremely dickish to people. I I don't like to be a dick. I'm not, but, but I'm very, very good at it. So, you know, I'll be here all week. Okay. There's a book. I'm waiting for the Ryan Bemrose book. I don't like to be a dick, but I'm good at it. That seems to be a perfect name for the, I don't know. It it could be your biography or it could just be helpful tips for people. It could be the name for this podcast. So anyways, attention economy. (laughs) It very well could be. How do you look at things like Gmail? Let's just use this as an example because a lot of people use Gmail. For the people like myself who will tell you, yeah, you know what? I use Gmail. I don't see any ads because I'm running a pie hole. I'm running ad blockers. I'm doing all of this stuff. And we'll make the case that, you know what? Haha, ha, I'm screwing Google because I'm using their service but I'm not seeing any of their ads. It's a flawed thing. I know, but how flawed of a concept is that? Well, uh, you're the, the question was, is this a viable way of using Google without consequence? Is that kind of right? Uh, well, the, the flaw in that is that, uh, selling your eyeballs to advertisers is only part of Google's business model. Uh, the other thing which you've done absolutely nothing to block is is selling your personal data to advertisers. Uh, the very fact that you're using Gmail means that Google now has access to all of your communications. And with that access to the communications, they have AIs which will scan all of them. And if you mention a microphone or if you mention uh, a, you know, that you, you were thinking you really liked that BMW, now they Google is making a great deal of money using you and uh, they're they're selling information about you for the purpose of targeting. And you might be okay with that because it's not directly using up your time. But 
it is targeted ads use attention. You can't block all ads. I mean, you're you're going to get circulars in your mailbox. You're going to get you know the occasional phone call. I, I don't know if Google's doing all of these things, but more importantly, uh, your privacy has been violated. Uh, information about you has been given to a company for the purpose of psychologically manipulating you. Now you might be okay with that, and that's another aspect of the attention economy. Is is your your it's free to you because you're not paying with money, but you're paying with your privacy. You're paying with your private data. You're paying with the the knowledge that some corporate database now contains all the information about everything that you've ever done because the AI has scraped all the keywords out of it. Right. And we talked about, I believe it was in the privacy episode about me going through my account on both my wife's phone and my phone and our Google accounts and seeing everything that was stored there, including the map of everywhere you had gone every day you were carrying your Google phone with you. And uh, I mean, Android phone, I don't want to think like you have to buy a Google phone. Any Android phone was gathering all of this information and you can say you're opting out. You then get into the question of whether you are really opting out. And you also again get into the question of is what you're giving in something like Gmail anywhere near as bad as the concept that these little devices, these little insidious cell phones that people carry with them everywhere they go. I know you don't, but most people carry their phones with them wherever they go. These microphones are always on. They're listening for keywords, whether you're talking to the phone or not. Uh, allegedly. Well, right. Well, no, it's not allegedly. I think it's been proven that they're doing this. And the question becomes, was that you know, the phones to me seem to be way worse in a lot of this stuff than you're doing online. And again, this is a case where you don't even necessarily know you're giving them your attention. You don't even know that they're listening in. So, I mean, these are probably two slightly different topics, but the amount of data that they're trying to collect is absolutely insane. I saw an article the other day that was talking about, as we did, again, I think in the privacy episode, when we were talking about the fact that even if you're blocking everything you possibly can going to a website, and I know you even have scripts and everything turned off, they can tell what operating system you're running. Obviously, they can tell what browser you're using. They can tell how many uh, colors you're showing on the screen, what size your screen is. And there's enough data to give them a decent book on who you are. And I read somewhere the other day that it was just a very small amount of factors. It was like 12 different factors. If somebody was able to gather just 12 things about you, that was enough, believe it or not, in a planet of billions of people to tell a whole lot more about you than you would think, which is why giving up the privacy in in order to get these free apps is a bigger cost than a lot of people understand. Cause I don't think any of us really feel like, except again, for the games that have that very specific, Hey, watch a video and get more points. And the my Vegas things do that as well. I don't think people really feel like they're giving up as much time as they are, but is that just because we've become numb to this? Well, that's a big part of it. Yeah. We've had, uh, I mean, when, when did most people, first get on the internet uh if if you're old like we are it would be the late 80s if you're young then it would be pretty much from the first time that that somebody handed you a cell phone 
But in all that time, we've had a lot of time for our frogs to boil. Early on in the internet, you would look at the, the you know, somebody would post a banner ad and you're like, oh, I hate, you know, this, this is really annoying. I, I don't even, you know, why is this here? It's not part of the site. And, and then after a while, we got numb to banner ads. And then somebody would post a, a flashing ad, something with animations. Like, oh God, this is terrible. And then eventually we got tired of those. And every time it, that, that we have people, something has become less effective because people have gotten used to it. They've gone more invasive pop-ups, pop-unders to the point where, you know, autoplay audio to the point where we've got now browser tools to block these things that, that are on by default if, if they're the worst things, but there's no doubt that we have become used to a lot of this in invasion of privacy, of our attention, of manipulation simply because, well, it's just the way things are done online. It's not even uh, it's not even the Internet. It's not even online. Come to think of it. Uh, where was the first place where we were conditioned to believe that access to free content was uh, the, that we paid for that with our attention by looking at ads? Uh, it's way before the Internet television and radio and radio and radio. God. Uh, the the very idea that all of these things broadcast television, cable television, well, not cable so much, broadcast television, broadcast radio have always been given out under the implicit business model that says this is free, but we're going to take up your attention, and and that's how you pay for it. You've, yeah, you've just said a lot of really interesting things. Yet my brain, yeah, I do that is on a loop. Yeah, my brain has been on a loop for like the last two minutes. What is the origin of the statement? We've had a long time for our frogs to boil because are, are you not, I've never heard those words uttered in that particular <laughs> way. Uh, well, it, it's funny because uh, there, there have been studies that actually prove this isn't true. But the classic question is, how do you boil a frog? And the response is that's a classic question. It, well, it is. <laughs> Follow me here. It's a hypothetical situation okay. and it's not nice to the frog, but that's not the point of the hypothetical argument. Uh, if okay. you if you want to boil a frog, presumably you want soup or or just you're a sadist and want to torture small animals. I'm not sure that's not important. If you create a pot of boiling water and throw the frog in, the frog is going to jump out. Is as the story goes. But if you put the frog into cold water and slowly bring up the heat, the frog will be cooked before it has discovered it's in any danger. And therefore, by slowly applying more and more heat, you have reached the point where you have a boiled frog without alarming the frog or otherwise making it take steps to protect itself. And it's a gruesome metaphor, but it was <laughs> it was how I learned the idea that a large injustice will always elicit uh, a backlash that prevents the injustice from being created. However, small incremental adjustments over or, uh, injustices over a long period of time will cause people to slowly warm up to the fact that they are being totally screwed and be okay with it. This applies to far more things than online advertising. It applies to, for example, the curbing of our rights in America and in the globalist countries. It applies to all kinds of things that we put up with today 
that you look, you stop and look and they're like, that is, that is wrong. We shouldn't be doing that, but everyone's used to it. Okay. I get it. So it means we get acclimated. It's kind of like the Overton window. You just keep pushing it ever so slowly. Yes. And things you never thought could be possible are now possible. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make sense. At first, I went back to the whole Louis C.K. or not Louis C.K. thing. The um, what's the guy's other the other comic, uh, Louis, uh, I think his name's Louis, Louis um, Black, Black, which which one of his lines was he heard somebody say, if it weren't for my horse, I would have never spent that year in college. And he's like, it was like a brain aneurysm going <laughs> off in his head, trying to figure out what they meant about if it wasn't for my horse, I would have never spent that year in college. And that's kind of what I heard when you talked about the frogs. But now it makes perfect sense. So that's clear. No brain aneurysm Im- imminent, at least from, uh, yes. from the frog kind of concept. Yeah, and if by the by the way, uh, uh, my, uh, the last I've heard is that somebody has actually tested the frog analogy on real frogs. And I think this is the real villain of the story and determined that it's actually backwards, that a frog that is sitting in water that's slowly getting too hot will jump out because they're not fucking stupid. But if right. you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, the shock to their system will paralyze them and prevent them from being able to jump out. And that's how you get a cooked frog. However, torturing small animals aside, uh, the metaphor of things getting slowly worse and worse and people getting used to them to the point where they accept things that they never would have at the beginning is really what I mean when I talk about boiling frogs. And it's the worst hot tub ever if you get in and it just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I would think people would get out unless, you know, again, something very strange uh, happened, but it's an apt you, you metaphor. You haven't hung out with the same kind of drunk people that I have. Okay. See, being drunk... <laughs> can definitely change your reaction times and for what you think is danger or not. And maybe that can explain why a lot of this stuff happens online and nobody seems to care. Maybe it's a lot of drunk playing games. Who knows exactly what it is, but they want to get your eyeballs at all costs. And I would guess if you were drunk, that might actually be easier because going way back to the earliest days of the web, that's one of the first stats that websites started all the software that monitors what people are doing on your site is is how many people are drunk well yeah well that would be nice but that's the one of the most important things it's not just how many hits on a page you have and that was the earliest day okay you see how many hits you got to the page but that quickly progressed to how much time was spent on each page how much time was spent on your website overall Because this is exactly the start of this, which is the longer you keep somebody on your website, the more time you have, the more attention of theirs that you have that allows you to do whatever it is you want to do. It could be showing more ads. It could be just giving propaganda, which, of course, are ads. And I guess that's another interesting thing when we're looking at the selection cycle in the United States, which seems to go. I mean, now it's like, what, a year and a half. When's it going to be just four years? That inauguration day for a president is starting the new thing because it seems like that's where we're going. Oh, we'll do our election show, the, which is the, just very the, weird. The to metrics me. that people measure have evolved as as people discover which psychological manipulations have the most effect and which are the most useful. The way that you measure things online have changed. Uh, I want to give you a uh, a link. You mentioned uh, tr- browser tracking and fingerprinting earlier. Have you ever heard of Panopticlick? No. Uh, pen- Panopticlick, P-A-N-O-P-T-I-C-L-I-C-K dot E-F-F dot org. It's from the E-F-F. 
it is a uh, a site that you can use. You just go there and you click the the test button and they will try to fingerprint you and then tell you everything that they have learned by you just visiting the site. And it's scary. And with that, that is, awesome. is this something that I want to do right now? Is it, this, is this like that you, scary? You can, it, it is scary <laughs> and you should try it because it will scare the hell out of you. And that puts you into a pliable state of mind for my brainwashing. Uh, does, is, does it matter which browser I use? Should I use the browser? You, I use you all can the try time. it with multiple. I tried it. And the first thing I got was JavaScript error. You have no scripts running, but <laughs> well, that's you. Uh, any how chance? You, okay, how do you spell this this thing again? Panop? Couldn't they just put something easier for idiots like me who can't spell? Uh, yes, yes. The easy is this will be in the show notes, but I put it into the No Agenda chat room. So let's see. Let me pull up this website address. Everybody can play along at home. Panoptic Click. Get the hell of a name. Is your browser safe against tracking? Test with a real tracking company. Sure. Test me. It is now testing my browser. Okay. So let's see. On Panoptic Click, this is using. The Brave browser is talked about on the No Agenda show. Is your browser blocking tracking ads? Yes, that's good. Is your browser blocking invisible trackers? Yes, that's good. Does your blocker stop trackers that are not included in the so-called whitelist? Yes, that's good. Does it or does your browser unblock third parties that promise to honor do not track? No. Does your browser protect from fingerprinting? And that it says, no, your browser has a unique fingerprint. And that is that is a big deal. I mean, that is the real big deal with that, because, again, if you have a fingerprint, then you're able to be tracked. And of course, if you're able to be tracked, then you're not entirely anonymous when you're online. I guess it'll be interesting to test that same thing when i am uh, running through a vpn to see the difference that has of course we're streaming right now on the no agenda stream so we're not running on a uh, on a vpn because that would probably be bad and, and do bad things but let me test chrome and see what it does under chrome are you are you scared yet well the, the brave fared fairly well except for the fact that it said i was still able to be fingerprinted which I'm not sure exactly what kind of data they're collecting or able to collect from the Brave browser saying it was able to be fingerprinted. The fingerprint is an aggregate of all of the aspects, capabilities and characteristics of your browser, all the information they can possibly figure out, which includes your operating system, the versions of particular install uh, things you have installed, the versions of plugins, your screen resolution is is one of those things because uh in order to you know in order to do what is it responsive web design the the websites ask the browser and the browser helpfully supplies the information of how how big the window is uh all of the things all of the characteristics your ip address your cookies everything that it can get its hands on it mashes all of that data together and builds a hash and there's enough there that that hash is fairly unique to you. It's it's unlikely that anyone else is going to have exactly the same configuration of everything that they have. And so they might not know information that you're intentionally providing, but they do have a pretty good idea when the browser with exactly this configuration, this hash comes back and visits again. Hey, that person looked at microphones last time so let's show them ads for microphones and it shows things like when you go to look at the details and one and however many browsers have this value so the user agent 
which is and blitz points out another thing is that the other thing that fingerprints you quite effectively is what sites you click on well that is absolutely the case too and it depends on who is getting that information that's also a big deal Uh, but the user agent like my user agent that says so one in 30 browsers have this value the http accept headers one in nine browser plugins one in 8.77 Time zone one in 20.1. So, of course, they're able to tell your time zone as well. So that's giving some some data screen size, which is one in 54. Well, I was just doing this on a small monitor as well. The interesting thing is to me is system fonts. So for somebody like me that does the artwork, a lot of this for the No Agenda show, I'm constantly looking for some unique fonts you know if you're trying to redo a logo or things like that i had no idea that the browser could report back exactly which fonts were on the machine and that is kind of scary because that is really where you start drilling down and going well okay everybody has the same basic fonts that are on every machine when they arrive at your house and then you add them for certain things but when people like me that are you know doing creative stuff where you go and download some very specific fonts that the vast majority of the world will never have. And your browser is giving that information. It's like, holy crap. It is. That's bizarre. It really is bizarre. And this shows you that not only are they looking for your attention, they're looking for any last bit of data that they can gather by simply letting you open up a web page welcome to the attention economy welcome to the attention okay i want to try one more thing hang with me here i want to try this on internet explorer i want to see (laughs) i want to see what happens actually internet explorer might be better than a browser that you use all the time that would be bizarre that would be a bizarre case um simply because internet explorer is you you haven't been using it to develop all of the things like the cookies and things but I, see, that didn't even mention the cookies and all that was with the things that it was tracking. The scarier stuff was the things that you don't even believe should be yeah. a, uh, attached to the browser. Uh, what devices are in your computer? Right. Yeah. You know, although this is very weird because Internet Explorer is giving me the same exact test results as the others. And that is probably because of the pie hole. Because is your browser blocking tracking ads? Yes. Is you blocking invisible trackers? Yes. Does it stop trackers included in the so-called acceptable whitelist? Yes. Sure. So, I mean, this is happening. One of the big ways that things track you is by putting code in the website that that sends your browser off to some third party site to run a a little bit of script or ping a, a tracking cookie or or otherwise you send data to a third party site. And if your pie hole is blocking those sites, well, congratulations. You're, you're not being tracked by that particular tracker. Yes. And the interesting thing is, does your browser protect from fingerprinting? It is just continuously in a loop and it's not giving me an answer on that one. So, Hey, maybe internet Explorer ain't so bad. It's possible that internet Explorer is, is so old and, and antiquated. It doesn't even have the features necessary for the site on the other end to try to fingerprint that part so the answer is everybody go back to internet explorer what a world we'd be living we, in then <laughs> you you want to know you want to know the how worst to, advice ever if, if you have a, a responsible web administrator who is actually browsing the logs as they should you want to know how to freak that person out is you go start up a vm like a firewalled vm and 
you ping their website with IE6. <laughs> Nonstop. Yeah. Or, or just browse their site for a while with IE6. They'll be like, I, my site's not optimized for IE6. Yeah, most sites don't even work in IE6 anymore, which is probably good. Well, see, you're much safer then. But it's hard for them to get your attention if you're on IE6. And it's the, I mean, the interesting thing, you know, this is some very bizarre stuff and this goes into more of the privacy issue. But arguably, if, if you're on IE6, your attention isn't worth anything. That is probably the case as well. But what has the brain that is so addicted to these cell phones that, as we've talked about before, you walk down the street. And there are people literally walking down the streets, walking through crosswalks and stuff while also trying to pay attention to what's on their screen. We have people sitting in restaurants and I get it. You know, if you're by yourself at a Taco Bell or a McDonald's, by all means, pull out your cell phone while you're on your lunch break or whatever you're doing and have a little bit of fun on your phone, check your email or do whatever. But it's seemingly more prevalent now, even in nicer restaurants. I mean, it seems like you see people even like out on dates and stuff. I mean, that's how maybe when you know your date's going horribly wrong, when you take somebody out and then you both pull out your phone rather than talk to the person you're with to do whatever it is you're doing on your phone. And it's it's a very is this like a Pavlov's dog kind of thing? Is it like the reward of getting whether it's information? You know, there's a lot of people that can't not stop checking things. I mean, forget the totally ludicrous things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I mean, there are people that will constantly be checking the news sites. You can't and- forget those because I, a, a significant portion of the people who compulsively pull their cell phone out and stare directly at it while walking across the street instead of looking for large metal things that might kill them <laughs> are the kind of people who they, they do this because they are addicted. They are addicted. To sites like Instagram, Facebook, they are addicted uh, because they got in for free by just giving up a little bit of their time. And these large Silicon Valley companies that employ more psychologists than programmers have tuned their sites and tuned the feedback mechanisms on their algorithms, the, the like buttons and everything to maximize the addictiveness of their thing. So I don't think we can discount when you're sitting at a table and somebody pulls out their cell phone and checks their Twitter. You're like, excuse me, are we having a conversation here? I, I actually, uh, you know, this might come as a surprise to you, but um, when somebody does that and I'm at a table with them, I will actually shame them. <laughs> Rightfully so. No, I actually, uh, in, in my family, at least uh, we, we have an unofficial rule amongst everyone, which is uh, if you are at a social gathering with somebody, the cell phones stay in pockets, period. And if not, and say, you know, you're trying to talk to somebody and you're driving down the road and they're on their phone, grab it and throw it out the window. As long as you have the financial means to replace their phones, the look on their face will probably be priceless. I actually, this, and this blows away some people. If I am driving and my phone rings, you know, often I'll have somebody else in the car. Often it's, it's Dame Bemrose. We we're husband and wife. We do things together. I know that's weird. Well, weirder from her side of the thing. If we're driving and my phone rings, I don't even take my eyes off the road while the phone is still ringing. I will pull it out of my pocket and hand it to her and she'll answer because I'm not going to do that. That's I, I can't 
dis- I can't separate my attention that way. And maybe it's the fact that I have mild attention deficit, but maybe it's just the fact that I'm human and recognize my limits. If you are talking on a phone, even if you're not looking at the phone, if your attention is focused on this little device that you're in, your attention is not focused on all the other people outside who can kill you if they fuck up at the same time you're fucking up. <laughs> yes, which is why I'm very intrigued by the technology that they're building into these cars now where it seems like it's a good thing. Oh, you can answer your phone by pressing a button on the steering wheel or sometimes saying, hey, answer phone or it will get your texts and read them to you because everybody thinks that's not a problem because I mean, I, I, understandably there may be other people in the car with you and most people can actually have a conversation with that person. It's certainly valuable to be able to look out the window while interacting with your phone. It is a real problem when somebody is staring at their phone while they're in control of a moving car. That is a problem. That is that is right. You know, there are now uh, most places have laws against that sort of thing for good reason, because you are a danger to everybody around you. If you are operating a moving vehicle and not even looking out the window, but that's not enough. You mean like the truck driver, the, the case the other day, the truck driver that killed somebody by running into them while watching porn on his device <laughs> sure. while driving. I mean, a, yeah. Uh, Hundreds of millions. Was he, of, was he operating hands free? That's all I want to know. No, no, I think I think there there were probably hands involved, but I'm not going to speculate. I'm not even going to let my mind go there anymore. No, thank you. <laughs> keep that out of my head. You keep that to yourself. Okay, that's more a Nick the Rat kind of a, you know, a topic, I would guess. <laughs> Maybe we could talk with Nick about that. That could be a whole show. Uh, uh, what master masturbating while it, behind the wheel of a truck? <laughs> well, again, it's it's a different type of the attention economy. And this is what, again, there is, you brought up addiction before that people are addicted to these devices. And I think that is absolutely the case when you see things like this. I know these are extreme examples, but they're real life examples and it's happening and people are treating these devices. It's very hard. I mean, do you know anybody, if you're sitting around, you know, having lunch, whatever you're doing, if if their phone's on the table in front of them and they get a text message you know, whether the phone lights up or maybe if they're nice, the phone's facing down and the thing just like buzzes or something. If somebody's sitting there and their phone buzzes in front of them, how many people cannot pick it up and look at the device in, you know, under like how many people t- t- take longer than, say, 10 seconds? Between uh, if, if, buzz- if somebody else's phone is buzzing on the table, I have a really tough time not picking it up and putting it in my pocket. Like, fuck this thing. You get it back after the meal. Well, that would be theft. These sound, these sound like the uh, Lily Aldrin from the, the show uh, How I Met Your Mother. She was the kindergarten teacher who, when the children were bad, she uh, she took one of their, stole one of their items, took, well, you know, confiscated one of their items. And then she started doing that to adults. So if you're just at somebody's house and they're behaving badly. I feel bad for kindergarten teachers these days who now are trying to teach classes full of people staring at their cell phones. In kindergarten, you know, and that's that's an interesting point. What is the proper age in your mind for children to get a smartphone? I mean, I can tell you what I think. Or do you want to answer first? (laughs) Forty. That is, you know what? And those are considered children today because they're living with their parents in their basements, not having jobs, not wanting licenses. And they want to sit there. I mean, this goes back. 
years because this goes back to the the show two and a half men which has been off the air for years now you know before charlie sheen was winning where jake when he was still a fairly young kid had a girl over and they were sitting next to each other on the couch and they were texting you know instant messaging each other from laptop to laptop rather than talking to each other i, I heard and, a great it, it joke. was funny at the time i heard a great joke by the way uh when when the charlie sheen thing happened it was uh how much cocaine did charlie sheen do in all of it enough to kill two and a half men Hey-oh! yeah okay and it was a good show and i know i thought it was funny because dvorak and uh, curry talked about it briefly the other day just how dirty a lot of the material was in the show and it was a show i always enjoyed i even recently went back and rewatched the series and it was a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now including me too which we just did an episode on that last week so check that one out but in the one episode Berta, the housekeeper's granddaughter comes with her to work and it's megan fox playing a 16 year old i looked it up i think she was actually 18 at the time but still megan fox at 18 you can do a mental do you want that mental image that's probably a little better than the previous mental image i'm willing to put up with that for a little bit yeah yeah so i mean they had her come over and then she's like washing the the big glass windows and she takes off her shirt and is like up against the window and it's like yeah would that be allowed to be made today no i don't think so but not in hollywood there's a no that is absolutely true but they you know if you want attention from guys there are studios that make content like that those are like not just porn studios i mean okay i was gonna say there's there's that obviously but uh you know again things that will go against the whole pc culture because really if you want i mean we're talking about the main thing in this show and i know we've gone off the rails a time or two but hopefully in entertaining fashion but we're talking about getting attention and there's really no better way to get attention from straight guys than boobs and hot women sex sells and that's never going to be able to be bred out of the human race. I don't believe unless we're talking some major kind of drugs. And yet I'm sure that Google has an entire department dedicated to figuring out how. How did you how to desexualize the human race? Well, how or or how to change our economy so that they can just extract money directly out of the economy without having to involve humans. Well, that's easy because then you just have cyborg women. And I know this is Mark and George kind of show topics, but they're not around. Actually, I think their lobbyists are doing that. Maybe. But I thought it was interesting because even uh, South Korea right now, there was a thing where the government, it looked like they were considering legislation or they, you know, it was, they had gotten enough, somebody got enough signatures on a petition to where the government had to at least acknowledge and look at the issue where they were trying to ban the import of sex dolls, sex robots. And because of its moral implications and i thought you know what (laughs) good on a country who's still worried about any morality in the country whatsoever but it just shows you where you know your attention is going if we've gotten that bad now where this seems to be almost you know i'm not saying that this is something that people are owning right now but it's probably price prohibitive sadly um, do we see a time where the attention is going to be given to a sex robot that this is going to become a regular thing which is just well, yeah, of course I got one. It's like, yeah, it's like I've got a, I've got a Roku, you know, I've got a TiVo. Is it soon going to be just like, well, yeah, I got, you know, Cyber Susie in the closet. Are, are you asking me or are you asking our other co-host, George Trombley? Both. I mean, I don't hear George. Is he on this episode? Uh, Whatever happened to George? Somebody sent out a search party for George. Uh, I, I sent out a fan club. Anyways, I think that ultimately, uh, you know, the, 
the attention economy is is definitely here to stay for at least a generation or so. We've we've trained our people to understand that they don't have to pay physical or or monetary currency for things and all they have to do is give up their attention, which as I pointed out earlier is is one of the most scarce things that any of us as as humans with limited lifespan have, but when you're young, at least, it sure seems endless, you know, especially when you're very young, when you're just getting out, you're just getting out of high school, just getting out of college. Uh, that feeling of having a lot more time than money is pretty common thing. And when somebody says, well, I'm just here to give you all the things that you need and you don't even have to spend money because you don't have very much, but you have lots and lots of time. That's really appealing when when you're in that position well let me ask you this you're a coder if you came up allegedly. with your right allegedly if you came up right now with a great idea for an app i don't care it could be a game it could be a social media app whatever it is if you think right now hey Online i just came up with robots. the greatest right i just came up with the greatest app idea in the world well it can't be physical because then you need money to actually ship a physical product but maybe you just came up with the software that turned the sex robots into boom, you took it to the next level. Would you do the, give me your, give me your eyeballs format, or would you make sure you just charge money and didn't do any of this other shenanigans to profit off of this? What would you do as a coder? If you had a program that you were putting out into the world as an app right now, would you go and try to jump on this? I just want your time and I'm going to monetize you that way. Or would you go the old school way and go, well, I'm just going to do money. As a coder, I would write the app and put it out there and be happy if people are using it because uh, that's very altruistic. Just you just want to just put it out well, into I, the world I, and be I, nice. You, you might not realize this, but all programmers are actually altruists and saving the world in their own mind. And you don't want money? Oh no, of course not. I mean, well, of course we do. Also, that everything I just I said you was were a confused lie. For a minute, yeah, there. I'm, I'm sorry. No, coders are of course humans and therefore selfish. But I think you said as a coder, I think what you meant was as an entrepreneur, if I were somebody who was just starting up and I had an app idea and I wrote it myself and and did all these things, would I manipulate people into buying my app and use psychological tricks? Well, hell yeah, I would, because that's where the money is. Why would you start a business if your goal isn't to make money on it? Right, but you could charge. You could just go the straight route of there's going to be money. I'm never going to do any of this where I'm going to try to mine your data. It would be necessary to build a business plan in such a way that that I evaluated where am I going to make the most money? And if if the most money is definitely from manipulating people, uh I mean, I, I yes, you you definitely use whatever it is that makes money. Now, could I do that and not tell people? I'd have a tough time with it. I think that I would probably... Well, you could bury it in the 5,000-page EULA. Well, it would be in there, but I think I would probably come up with a way to say, here are all of the addictive things my app is doing, and here's the things you get for it. <laughs> and then people would come anyway. And Here's yeah. every reason why you shouldn't download and use this app. But if you're going to do it, I'm going to turn your data into cash. You know, a purely hypothetical situation, knowing me, I'd probably find a very, very snarky way of saying it. I can't believe that. You're very straightforward and never snarky or sarcastic at all. Hey, hey you know me. I don't judge. Except when you're breathing. So anyways, yeah, uh, for the most part, the attention economy is here to stay. 
And uh, a big part of that is that it works. It is appealing to the kind of people who have more time than money early on. Later on, even when you start to make money, there are so many demands on your money that it's still appealing. And oh, yeah, by the time they're 35, they're addicted. And uh, also companies pretty much, I mean, if if you're Google or Facebook, then uh, you're entitled to everyone's attention because you're Google. Well, let's talk about how this affects podcasting because we're doing a podcast. Well, as a podcaster, I'm clearly entitled to all of our listeners' attention. Right. Of course. And that is where that's one of the reasons why I think, although I don't think anybody's making a ton of money out of it, that's why some of these shows continue to take advertising is it's very easy on uh, television to get by ads because this is it's an interesting concept to me. Thinking back, as we talked about earlier, when ads first came out on the web, somebody decided there was some asshole was the one that decided whatever the dimensions were going to be on a ban- on a banner ad. And that became a standard because, well, if you're going to have one site do ads and then you, everybody wants to have the same price and they want to know they want the same amount of space. But the interesting thing, ad blocking was originally oh, there's an image of this size, don't show it. Because advertising back in the day wasn't third party served up. When I was taking ads on a website, when the internet first started, you actually, they would send you the image that they wanted to use, or they would have you do it for them. And you would post it on your site. It wasn't coming from a third party like it is now. That came relatively quickly, but it was very easy to block an image if it was that particular size and they came with the sidebars and all that. And those were all the same size. So it was very easy to block the things that were ads. Television, very similar, especially with the DVR. Television never realized that maybe you shouldn't have 30 second ads because people then build a button that says 30 seconds skip. Very easy to do. It, it is hilarious how the DVR, the companies who manufacture DVR type things on more than one occasion have invented a DVR that auto detects when there's an ad and automatically skips it, which is an amazing invention ad that not once has ever made it to mass market because every single time it happens, the big television companies sue them into oblivion. Precisely because it damages their business model. And it's easy to figure out because ads have some certain things about them, just like we were talking about in the browser. Which is why when you do the 30 second skip, you still have to manually hit the button these days. But you can. There is software that will take these out, you know, pirate software where you can take your downloaded television shows. You know, you can save them on your DVR and it will go and pull the ads out with like 99.9% accuracy because ads are a, yeah. They're, they're a very simple. The length is always the same. And the audio is always so maxed out like on our podcast. They max it out. So the, the advertising audio, of course, the commercial needs to be heard, which is why even with all the technology we have today, there is still a problem sometimes with, you know, you're watching a show and then all of a sudden a commercial comes on. It needs to be heard in the next room where the people have gotten up and gone and got a sandwich from the kitchen or because the ad breaks are 10 minutes long. You have to be able to hear it from there. Yes, because they want your attention. It's very important that you hear what they're selling, which is one of the reasons why I always thought advertising on podcasts could work. I mean, one, it's hard enough to get a podcast with an audience that's worthy of advertising on. But when you find them and you have hosts talking about a product, it's very hard to pull that out automatically. It's even hard to do that when you're skipping time if your podcasting player, which it should allow you to skip 15, 30 seconds at a time. 
it's the host that's talking about the product and often it's interdispersing that with other content so it's very hard to skip those it's very hard to edit those ads out which should make this format pretty decent for advertising right well the the there's a phenomenon that you're actually I, i'm not sure if this is what you're talking about but it's very close it's called native advertising uh, which is effectively what you're describing. It's where advertisements, m- money is exchanged for the purpose of advertising products, but the advertisements themselves are disguised as the content. And the the result is that it is extremely difficult to filter out advertising because it looks just like content. You know, the one of some of the early forms were simply product placement, where a TV show would have uh, somebody drinking a can of Pepsi with the making sure that in their hand, the Pepsi label is pointed outward. And maybe they have a shot where they zoom in closely on the can because Pepsi paid for an advertisement and you can't filter that out. You're you're, if you're watching the show, you're seeing Pepsi, you're understanding Pepsi, you know, the, it's sinking into your head. Or if, uh, for example, the Starbucks franchise in Westeros decides to put <laughs> their cup into game of Thrones same kind of thing and there definitely is native ads but i was even talking about when the podcast if we were doing if we were doing ads on this podcast and you hear this on a lot of these shows which would be we'd be having a conversation and then i would say hey but now we have an ad from casper mattresses let me tell you about how great and furry these things are and you want to unroll them and they're just yeah they're just so awesome and the, the interesting thing to me was always on the shows the only difference between what you just did and an actual native ad is that you said here is an ad that is the only difference. The only uh, if uh, a hypothetical situation, suppose grumpy old Ben's decided to take ads for uh, Sir Bemrose VPN on the Dark Sewer Network, then I would be sitting here telling you that, you know, you have to go to this panoptical click site and you need to uh, make sure that your your browser is not compromised. And the best way to do that is to go and download this product and do the, it's. Native ads are really where you just flow so smoothly into it that there's no obvious transition to the ad. And right, which is what Steve Dahl here in Chicago has done for years and years and years because uh, it works for him. He gets free stuff. So rather than coming out and saying that he's he's taken an ad, it just happens he would stop by a place and they'd, uh, you know, maybe they picked up the bill for his uh, for his expensive dinner. You know, maybe somebody gave him a brand new BMW, whatever it was. And then you're on the show and you just start talking about your new BMW. You never mentioned the fact that you got it for free. That's a native ad doing the, uh, you know, actually doing an ad where you're reading copy and all that is interesting. And I'm going to put this out here again, because the guys over at the one podcast I listen to that does Casper mattress ads now and then they make fun of the fact that there is a list of like 10 or 20 things that they say, do not mention this when doing the ad and i want to see that list so if anybody has a podcast and has ever done a casper ad i want to know what those things are so i can read them on our podcast because i they have to be good things well it's that they don't want people to hear i mean it shouldn't be that hard to just create a podcast do one episode and take an ad so that you can do that you would of course be sued for breaching contract but uh that's a small (laughs) price to pay for content isn't it it is depending on as long as I use Ryan Bemrose and what's your address again. And I don't trust the Bemrose. The, the, I did a search and I did it in IP trace the, the Bemrose VPN 
it goes through some very shady areas. So I would avoid that for now. Uh, you're, you're screwing up the native ad. That's one of the things you're not supposed to tell anyone. Oh, so that is one of those so, specific yeah. items that you're not. Na- damn native it. ads. I knew there was something. Native ads have a lot in common with uh, word of mouth is, uh, which happens to be one of the only forms of advertising of marketing that I think is, is valid and good is word of mouth. It is people who use a product telling other people, yes, this is a good product. And that is, it is the most effective advertising for a reason. It's sincere. And almost all, all, all other forms of advertising in which money is exchanged for the purpose of talking about a product are insincere in one form or another. You're not talking about the product because you like it. You're talking about the product because somebody's paying you to talk about the product. Well, that was one of the most scammy ways of advertising. I mean, you've heard, I don't know if this is being done anymore because I think the internet has made this irrelevant, but there was a point to where companies would send actors, well, not necessarily actors, but somebody that they were paying to go into, you know, if you have your mommy and me group and you're going to have somebody that's going to tell all their friends they love this product without telling them they're getting money from this product. There has been guerrilla marketing where companies would do that to where they would just be giving your who you somebody you think is one of your friends or somebody you think just you know randomly showed up at your you know event church group meeting whatever it was that was actually a shill for a company so there's no way to know for sure that uh, you know you're not giving your attention to a company even it just might just be somebody you just met at the bar who's just there to go around like hey did you try this new beer from Bemrose? Well, it's it's certainly difficult. I mean, we have ways of making you talk, but we, but most people We have ways. Most people at the bar frown on, you know, somebody trying to offer you a beer and you torture the information out of them whether or not they're getting paid to promote that beer. That's that's generally considered a social faux pas. And we certainly wouldn't want that. But people have to understand that your time is important. And I just want to point out that when we're at the bar, the beer that I always like to drink is a very strong West Coast IPA. It's cool. It's refreshing. It hits the spot. And I totally didn't get paid to say that just now. But you might get paid afterwards, which is also so. another interesting thing, right? So, okay, wait. So you're saying integrity be damned if somebody hears you mention their product on Grumpy Old Benz, even though it wasn't an ad. And they decide to send you a lifetime full of beer. You're taking it. You're you're just going to give in. I I would be stupid not to. So we all know now Ryan Bemrose has a price. It's up to everybody out there to figure out exactly what his podcasting integrity is worth. We're inviting bids right now. Going once. (laughs) Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com. Send your best offer in. But seriously, we are honored that people listen to the show. We get comments. Uh, you can email us. I mean, Ryan at Grumpy Old Benz for Ryan, Darren at Grumpy Old Benz for me. But it is. We know that you only have so many hours in the day. There are so many podcasts out there. There are so many entertainment options out there vying for your time, both long shows, short shows, everything in between. So the fact that people will tune in for us to rant for, you know, 60, 90, 120 minutes. It is something that we don't take for granted, and we just want to let you know we do appreciate you giving us your time, and for those who like to donate to the show as well, that just really blows us away even more, and we always appreciate getting the donations, which you could do at grumpyoldbenz.com. Our buddy Jay Finley, always a guy that's, uh, like I said, the patron saint of podcasters, and we have Eric VM, and, uh, and I think some other people as well that I'm blanking on, but hey. 
We love every one of you. And the support means a ton to us that you're listening to our podcast and not to, uh, well, some crappy pop music. Except for the people who are listening to our podcast uh, alongside a crappy pop music track, in which case, stop it because my voice does not go well with that tune. But you could be auto-tuned. Oh, God. Oh, 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 oh. sorry. Nick the Rat, Fletcher. Right? Hey, so, uh, Car- Carolyn Blaney, anybody that has the ability to do those uh, to fun things with audio, we'd like to hear some uh, some Bemrose auto-tune. I think I just, just threw up in your mouth a little bit. We'd prefer you threw up in your own mouth, but uh, I guess that's why I have this little fuzzy thing on top of the microphone. I don't need auto-tune. I'm just saying. So <laughs> you, you, you really, you really do need auto tune. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the White Sox still suck. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. And from America's left coast, where my attention is worth nearly as much as a pint of IPA. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Nearly, but not quite. Later. Uh-huh.